Hey everyone, we are back for season six of the Holistic Pharmacy Podcast. I'm your host, Marina Buxov, a functional medicine pharmacist and holistic herbal educator. I'll be sharing inspiring stories of my guests who have shifted into holistic modalities, both personally and professionally. My co-host, Dr. Jenna Carmichael, will be joining me to lead the Journal Club episodes to share an evidence-based approach to holistic and herbal medicine. I'm so glad you're here and hope you enjoy the show. Hey everyone, I hope you're having a great week so far and it's Friday. I'm actually at the Healers and Healthcare Conference this weekend in Ohio, but I wanted to make sure to publish and share this week's episode of the podcast with you all. They say laughter is the best medicine and we get into all that with Corey Jenks. He earned his doctor of pharmacy degree from the University of South Carolina and is currently a practicing clinical pharmacist and improv comedian. Corey travels the country teaching healthcare professionals how to apply the valuable skills of improv comedy to create a more adaptable, empathetic, and humanizing healthcare experience for both patients and providers. Corey lives in Tuxkin, Arizona with his wife, Cassie, and their two children and 10 chickens. So without further ado, let's welcome him to the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Holistic Pharmacy Podcast. I have a very special guest with me today. He's also a pharmacist. His name is Dr. Corey Jenks. Uh, and besides being a pharmacist, he's also a comic author and speaker. So we're very excited to have you on today. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm, it's a, kind of an interesting background as a pharmacist, but I'm excited to share what I do with, with your audience. Definitely. Well, I'd love to start with where you grew up and how you came to be a pharmacist. Yeah, so I grew up, uh, I'm broadcasting today live, recorded from Tucson, Arizona, and that's where I grew up uh, here, and uh, ended up going into pharmacy because my chemistry teacher asked me what I wanted to do uh, with my life, and I said I wanted to play baseball for the Cubs, Chicago Cubs, and she said, you're not going to play professional baseball, sorry, Uh, I've seen you play, and so she said, what about a backup plan, like maybe, have you thought of a pharmacy? You're good at chemistry, and so uh, I that kind of got me going along that path. And I had a family friend that worked for uh, a a retail chain that had enjoyed his career. Another acquaintance that wasn't, this was the good old days when they wouldn't let him retire because pharmacists were so in demand. And so I, and then my mother had back surgery when I was a senior in high school and the pharmacist was the one that helped manage her pain in the hospital. I was like, yep, I'll, I'll do this. So when I was a bright eyed young teenager, I decided to go into pharmacy. And so I actually went and did my undergrad in pharmacy school way across the country at the University of South Carolina. So, uh, uh, you know, helping out with those uh, student loans and out-of-state tuition, but I enjoyed my time across the country. And uh, when I finished, I did a residency. I actually came back here to Tucson, to the VA in Tucson to do my, my PGY1 residency. And since that time, I have done about every different job <laughs> at the VA here in Tucson, inpatient, outpatient, uh, and currently I work in ambulatory care. So I've kind of bounced around, but that's the, that's the nutshell journey of, uh, nutshell story of my pharmacy journey and, and background. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. So what brought you to the world of comedy and, um, authorship and being a speaker? Well, the world of comedy, I always enjoyed comedy as a kid. Uh, this was back in the good old days when you had to watch the show, like when it aired, you didn't, you couldn't just binge it on your own leisure, but every, every morning on Monday, I'd me and my friends would talk about the Simpsons quotes or Saturday Night Live. So I always enjoyed 
watching comedy. And then when you're, when you're a teenager, you don't really think of your own comedy. You just kind of repeat what funny people say. Uh, so I always enjoyed that. And then in undergrad, there was actually an improv group, uh, an improv comedy group that I went and watched. And I was like, oh, this is amazing. It's kind of like, whose lines is it anyway? Like, this would be so much fun. And so naturally, I didn't do that because I was so focused on being a pharmacist. So when I finished my residency, I had all this thing. I had this crazy thing called free time. I didn't know what to do with myself. It'd been like seven years since I had like evenings to myself. And so my uh, girlfriend, who's now my wife, asked me what I wanted for my birthday. And I said, well, I either want to take guitar lessons because I always wanted to learn an instrument or take improv classes. And so I'm talking about improv and not guitar today. So that should give you a clue of, of what I did. And so it really was just something that I was scratching an inch I'd, I'd had for a while. And what happened as I took it and improv is this art form where everything's made up on the spot is I took a class, had a blast, um, took another class and started performing with our group here in Tucson, ended up teaching it, uh, ran our comedy school for a while, while coached other teams and what I learned is that I started applying the skills I used as an improviser, listening, teamwork, communication, empathy, making quick connections. And what was a frustrating start to my pharmacy career became kind of like a fun hack to, to being a better pharmacist because I'd be, I, was, I was less afraid of the unknown than I was before. Before a patient, you know, I don't know if you've ever had a patient ask you a weird question, but bef before doing improv, I was like, I would freak out. Like it wasn't on my checklist. Like I, I didn't learn this in pharmacy school, my residency. And then after doing improv for a while, it became a kind of a game of like, I'm just playing and, and having this conversation with a patient, listening and responding, which is what I do on a stage. And I became a much more comfortable and I, I, I would like to say more competent pharmacist. And so as I progressed in my comedy, I would say comedy career, uh, I'm in Tucson. So it's, it's life from New York, not life from Tucson for a reason, right? Uh, we're not a huge huge city. Uh, I enjoyed it, but I was kind of curious, like, what would I, how would I take my comedy to the next level? And then I had my first kid in 2018. And so spending time away from them, as much as I enjoyed volunteering my time at the theater and performing to audiences of, you know, five to 15 people, um, I enjoyed the presence of my kids more. So I really, I kind of had that step back of like, oh, this was, I might not be on Saturday Night Live, but I, I could help other pharmacists and healthcare professionals be better at interacting with, with patients. And so for the last two or three years, I've been really focusing on first speaking. Uh, so in 2019, I did my first engagement of doing improv for healthcare. And so 2020 was going to be my year. I was going to go out and start doing a lot of speaking and 2020 COVID happened. So no one was doing any events. And so right. I, the, the idea of adapting improvisers adapt. So I had all these ideas of what I'd learned, a lot of stories. And so I just typed them all out of my, my computer. And then in this past year, I published it. So it was, it's been a sort of like listen, react journey to, to getting the a message out there. And so fortunately the last year and a half or so too, we've had more opportunities to speak and doing a lot of virtual things as well. So now I have a book and I go and I, I teach healthcare professionals how to have some fun and listen and communicate and be better teammates. Wow. What an amazing story about pivoting, right? And that's all what life is just pivot from one thing to the next and business is like that too. And so kind of goes hand in hand uh, with your story. So whenever, you know, you have a plan, right. Um, but something may not pan out the way you want it to, it's okay because there's another opportunity somewhere, um, you know, and now with the virtual worlds, there's so much more opportunity, even for communication, like 
we're in totally different areas. I'm in New York, you're in Arizona, and we're able to connect and also um, connect to our listeners from wherever they're listening and from. Yeah. And that was something that I at first thought, because I think imp- improv is really a, a fun activity in person, the feeling of the energy, the, the flow back and forth of people in person. But having adapted my talks and my workshops to virtual, I've had the realization that I've been able to reach a lot more people than I probably would have been able to because they didn't have to pay to have me fly out there. I didn't have to spend time away from my family. It's kind of cool, especially with time zone differences. I'll do a, an event for someone on the East Coast uh, that'll be at seven o'clock their time. By the time my wife and kids are home from daycare, daddy's done with his little thing and we all have dinner together. So it's, it's you know, in improv, we have a saying, there are no mistakes, only gifts because there's no scripts. Uh, this is a, also a great pharmacy pun that I use as much as I can. There are no scripts, but um, so everything that happens, yeah, <laughs> everything that happens, we can, we can choose to see it as a gift. And so, yeah, in a world where I was ready to go out and start speaking more, to have that time at home being forced to be at home. Well, forced means that, well, I have forced focus time. So I have a chance to, to write something so that when the clouds part a little bit, I have this, this message I, I really enjoy sharing like we're doing today. Yeah. So walk us through like your first ideas of when you started um, kind of ruminating or thinking and imagining that this would be a good skill for other healthcare professionals to utilize and get into and how you started brewing up the idea for the first workshop and how that all came together. And, you know, what was that first event that you launched? Yeah. So I think I started ruminating on this because the, our, our theater in Tucson, uh, the, I was one of our instructors for classes and we're, we're always wanting to get more people to come in and take classes. And I had a couple of, I had a coworker, a pharmacist that I had convinced to come and do a class. I have another pharmacist friend that I got to come in and do a class. My wife's a nurse practitioner. She took a class and we have a couple other doctors and nurses in our company. And the thing that I think really kind of hit home for me um, was seeing the transformation of their comfort level and the fun they have. Um, and also, I, I think, I mean, there's one day I really remember in particular, and just to give like a really quick improv lesson, you know, the, the, the whole, if your listeners learn nothing today, but two words, it's yes. And if you read my book, you'll hear it like a million times, but that's like the whole basis of improv. We say, yes, we agree and build together. And as I had, I started improv in 2013, it was probably a, a year or two into it that I was just like, wait a minute, I don't have this anxiety when I talk to patients anymore. What's different? And I realized I was, I wasn't thinking ahead. I wasn't in my own head. I was just in the moment listening and responding to that person in front of me. And it was much more relaxing and enjoyable. But I think one of the other realizations I had, there was a day where I was covering a Coumadin clinic and like the stakes are really high with blood thinners. Like if you mess up, someone can cl- get a, someone can bleed or get a clot and they can die. Right. Um, not that any other medicines aren't high stakes, but to me, when I covered our Coumadin clinic, that was my highest, highest stress level was there. And then I did that during the day. And at night I went and was teaching an improv class to a group of people. And they were like, we're doing an exercise and they were really hard on themselves. I was like, what's going on? And, and they said, well, you know, we're just afraid of messing up. And I said, wait a minute, hold on, time out. You're afraid of messing up. This is, I, I was, I, this is my place to go and mess up. The whole goal of improv is like, there's, there's no stakes. So you can try new things. And I think pharmacists were very risk averse and that serves us well in lots of situations, but improv teaches you to take calculated and smart risks and yourself as like a pharmacist entrepreneur doing something non-traditional 
that's something most pharmacists aren't willing to do, but I realized it had been put it, put it in my head that we can, we can learn to, to take some risks. And also in healthcare, everything, our default answer is no. So for two hours a week, I would go do improv and we have to say, yes, it was amazing. But this group of students, I said, wait a minute, you, you don't have to worry about your outcome right now. There's no stakes. If you mess up, the, the worst thing that happens is someone doesn't laugh. And like, that's not a huge, like a huge, a huge problem. To, you know, it's ideally you make people laugh. So I just was, I, I realized like this could have a lot of utility for helping one, be a great skill for, for healthcare professionals Two, be a great outlet for healthcare professionals. We don't get a chance to like play. I think as soon as you start even undergrad, the stakes are high. It's highly competitive. You're trying to get into whatever profession, you know, pharmacy, medicine, whatever it is. And so you're, you're always worried about those outcomes instead of enjoying the process. And so far improv and comedy helps you enjoy that process and learn those skills uh, with a zero, you know, a zero consequence environment. And so as I was scheming up my first event, I, I just put together some simple rules of improv. There's actually medical literature that backs its use in training. So it's been used in medical and pharmacy school curriculums. So I, I joke that we do evidence-based comedy. And so I did an event for my state association, got pharmacists up in front of people, doing activities, making people laugh, getting uncomfortable, uh, but, but having a great time. And I got great feedback and I had someone come up to me from that event and they're like, hey, do you, do you like do this for like companies? And I said, yes, I do. <laughs> so from there, I, I did my first. Yes, and. <laughs> yes, and, right? I do. And what would you like me to do for your company, right? So from there, I, I did another engagement and that gave me the, the confidence and in, in the, I guess the, the, the confidence that like, this is something worthwhile that other people see the value in. And the feedback was great. It was like, this was a fun CE. Like I had, I enjoyed it. These are important lessons. And essentially it's in boring terms, it's soft skills, which we can't measure. And we aren't, we don't really emphasize, but think of the best interactions you've had with your own healthcare professionals. The ones that are the best are the ones that are listening, empathetic, warm versus, you know, we want competence, but we want to enjoy that experience too. Yeah. Yeah. It's sort of speaking into the art of healing. So it's about the relationship and the connection and the communication and the way that the client or patient wants to be seen and heard uh, mm -hmm. and then what we can offer as a practitioner. So beyond, like you said, the hard skills and the clinical skills, we need the bedside manner, you know, and doctors are always interviewed, you know, for med schools and other things where you assess the whole person. You can't just get into a med school with your application alone. They, there has to be an interview process. You know, we have to know what kind of person and what kind of soft skills you possess because the bedside manner is very important, if not more important at certain stages um, for people and for people to feel like they're cared for. And I always talk about this, the placebo effect. <laughs> so yeah. if somebody believes that, you know, they're being offered the best care and the most appropriate care and that they have caring individuals around them, they have way more of a chance to get better um, mm -hmm. because belief is powerful. Yeah, I 100% I agree with you. And I think that a lot of times patients, the feedback that, again, my wife's improv, improv trained uh, as well, that it's, it's good. And it's terrible to hear, but like, I'll hear things like you're the first person who's listened to me. And that's what my wife will hear too. And on the one hand, it's like, Ooh, my ego says, this is great. But on the other hand, I'm like, how many years have you been in the healthcare system and never been listened to? And, and even if like I've had patients who have 
an adverse drug reaction, or they believe it's an adverse drug reaction, even if that, that medicine doesn't specifically cause that particular thing they're complaining about. And I listen to them and I don't just say, well, micromedics says no. I say, oh, that's interesting. Tell me more. When did that happen? Well, what if we try off of it for two weeks and see what happens? Like give them the opportunity to take ownership of their own health. Even, even if the book says it's not the right answer, as long as the, you know, as long as it's clinically safe to trial off a one of the five blood pressure medicines they're on, or one of the diabetes medicines they're on for a couple of weeks, just to give them that sense of like, oh, this, per this, this caretaker cares about me. They're listening to me. They hear my concern. And if, if it's a couple of weeks of your sugars are a little higher, but you realize metformin doesn't really cause that insomnia, well, then they can sleep, they hopefully <laughs> they have insomnia sleep better knowing that it's not that that's causing the issue or whatever that scenario may be. Yeah, absolutely. Validating our patients' concerns by not just dismissing it and saying, no, impossible, because mm -hmm. we're learning things that are post-marketing, right? It's a post-marketing trial out there by the time something gets to the market. So mm -hmm. um, whatever patients are reporting have to be considered as valid until proven otherwise. So that's mm -hmm. the evidence-based system. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and well, and I'm, what I, what I, try to do is just have that conversation. So in any given day, I'm talking to a patient about their favorite movie, their garden, the sports that we're on this weekend, their grandkids. And in the middle of this conversation, oh yeah, we're talking about these health, health issues that you're facing. But I think that that puts them in more at ease and it helps them, it helps us build that rapport and trust. So when it comes time to making a medicine change, it's not just this faceless pharmacist changing and dialing levers and buttons. It's, oh, Corey cares about me. This change is because he thinks it's in the best interest of my health. And so that's, and then what I do with diabetes management, I'm really trying, I tell my patients, I want you off medicines. Do you want to be off medicines? Let's talk about how we can get you off medicines because the only thing they've heard is you need to take more and more medicines. And despite how difficult it is for them to manage it in their daily lives. And so trying to have the empathy of like, how would it feel if I had to take 25 medicines and check my sugar four times a day? And someone says the 26 medicine, that's when the, that's, that's the one that's going to make you healthy. Like that's the one. Yeah. I <laughs> probably not. So there's probably something else going on there. Yeah. That's a jarring realization. And, you know, it's almost like when I worked in retail, that's what made me feel really um, a lot of guilt, I guess, that I couldn't help them in a better way other than dispense these 25 medications and mm -hmm. maybe counsel them or attempt to counsel them. And I would just imagine like, wow, it must take up, you know, so much brain space and, you know, diligence to get these organized and scheduled uh, and regimented, you know, for them to take at, you know, five pills with lunch and, you know, two before dinner and then this many at bedtime. So, you know, it's a lot of work. And I think we as healthcare professionals, uh, well, this is part of my own um, agenda here, right? Um, as healthcare professionals, we try to make it easy for our patients to get better, you know, and feel better. And the easiest thing in our mind is pills, right? Because that's how we've been taught. It's not that we made it up. It's just that, oh, the system says this is the easiest thing. Mm -hmm. um, but it's not, you know, it does come with its own disadvantages and consequences and complications and side effects and interactions and all these things. So um, evaluating all of that and also allowing the patient to choose, like you said, how, um, you know, how mo motivated are they to 
maybe deprescribe or focus on decommissioning some of these things. So giving them those options and educating them on the available options rather than assuming, oh, this will be easiest, the drug. Yeah, well, that the idea of yes and. So when a patient says, I don't want to take these pills, I don't say, well, I'm a pharmacist and I say you have to. I say, yeah, and I wouldn't want to take them either. Like, I, I don't even try to argue with it. Like, who who would want to have to... I love what you said about the, like the mental energy it takes to manage all this. Like I, I don't, I just, yeah, I think of people's lives and what they want to do. Like, what if someone wants to write a book, but every three hours they're trying to think of their medicine regimen or they're checking their sugar, or they're trying to watch their grandkids, but they're also having to take these pills. And it, yeah, it just, it, it makes me sad. And I think that what I really try to focus on too is, is helping us as healthcare professionals be adaptable. So working in a different treatment plan, even if it isn't by the book, which means throwing more pills at patients, be more empathetic. So like you talked about, how would it feel if I had to take 25 medicines? And then just creating a humanizing experience. So treating that person as a person and not a diagnosis or a patient or a prescription number, like they're, they're a human being in front of you. And so uh, we don't always get to pick their diagnosis or what's going on with them, but we can still create a better experience for them. And by doing that, by giving them a better experience, like our experience improves too. Like you mentioned working in retail, like that can be, I've done a little, I've dabbled in retail too. I interned in retail. I did a little PRN work in retail. It's a really hard job. And so to find a way to connect with another human to help provide you a little bit of like happiness and job and life satisfaction is so crucial. Yeah. And I think connection in general is crucial to humans and to healing. So Mm -hmm you know, that communication skill that you're talking about is really a soft skill, but a necessary, almost like you need it for survival, right? The communication. Mm -hmm. And I love what you said about the yes and principle reminds me of NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming, because Mm -hmm. there you can rewire your brain um, out of its, you know, fearful or some of these self-deprecating habits that we have by accepting um, something that we maybe do not want to accept or is uncomfortable or we're afraid of. And instead of, you know, arguing with it and saying like, but, or some other self-deprecating thought that might come, you just say yes and, right? Mm -hmm. So it's the same as your improv. Yeah. And I think that's what, that's what was one of the things as I noticed was improvisers, we just accept reality. Like if someone comes out on stage and says, we're on the moon, yeah, we're on the moon. Like that's just what it is. And so I think what I see a lot of frustration and angst and I help precept students and residents and heck, this isn't just relegated to residents like seasoned pharmacists. Like a lot of our angst and frustration comes from wishing reality was a different way than it was. And so I think that acceptance really helps us to overcome the problem. Now, I'm not going to say we should accept that people working retail should work 14 hours with their lunch breaks or bathroom breaks. No, we shouldn't just accept that and be like, well, it's just going to be terrible. But I think acknowledging like, okay, this is the reality right now. It is not good. How can I make the best of this reality? And then how can we change this reality to be one that is more enjoyable and pleasurable? Yeah, it can be, I think work can be pleasurable when you're, when you're, when you're changing lives. And so that's like, for me, it's this drug isn't on formulary. Well, I have to accept it. This drug I need a lot more evidence to use if I want to use it in a patient. Okay. I don't like the red tape, but I work for the government. So I've, I've chosen to accept this. So how can I make the most of that, of that, what I'm facing? 
Yeah. Yeah. I love that approach. So it's not that you're accepting it as a victim of, you know, this is my fate and there's nothing I could do, but it, this is what it is right now. This is the present reality. Yeah. And I can move towards changing this reality since I realized that I'm not a fan of being in this reality. Yeah. And I think that as a profession, and this is maybe me looking like kind of at a bigger picture, I think pharmacy, we should, it's okay if we accept that things aren't great because I think there's sometimes segments that are like, oh, well, you know, clinical pharmacies do an amazing thing. Like I do really cool stuff. Like I have, I write prescriptions. Like my name is, I am the prescriber on prescriptions. And it's really cool that I get to do that. And I think there is a growing number of pharmacists that get to do that. But who, who in our profession is like the overwhelming majority is probably retail and then people working shifts in hospitals. How is their work life? And so I think we need to accept reality. Like we can still push that clinical side forward, push what you're doing forward, but how can we improve like the whole, like let's accept the reality that the profession could use some improvement and that that's okay. It's not an indictment against us. It's just, we need to accept it so that we can improve it and make it better. And also like acknowledge those that are struggling with their, with their current roles because of the, the circumstances they find themselves in. Yeah. Yeah. I love that perspective. So I would love to know what is motivating you to do this work. So you are a pharmacist, you are pushing yeah. our pharmacy profession form forward. And what is pushing you to really um, also spend all this time, you know, you wrote the book, uh, which I'd love for you to share what that's called. Mm -hmm. um, and you are kind of paving your way with this um, improv comedy skill that you want to share with the larger healthcare audience. So, you know, I know that you did <clears throat> some workshops and some other people sought you out for maybe paid opportunities, but it doesn't seem like, you know, you're in it for the money to get out of the pharmacy career and, you know, pursue comedy. It seems like a grander mission. Yeah. Well, thank you for, for elevating my mission. Uh, so first thing, yes, yeah, so I did write this book. So I'll shamelessly plug Permission to Care, Building a Healthcare Culture that Thrives in Chaos. And I think the, the motivation I have is both as a provider and a consumer of healthcare, because I've had too many experiences, both from the being the patient side and trying to provide good care side, where we just feel like cogs in an unfeeling wheel. And the work that I'm doing is motivated by the fact that like, I think healthcare is a really noble profession. We get into this because we want to heal the sick. Like, I, I don't think there's much more noble cause, you know, heal the sick and then feed, feed those that are less for Like there's a, mil a million causes, but healing the sick is a really noble cause. And we burn out like crazy because the system is designed to fail, it feels like, and to not allow us to be caring. And the whole title, permission to care, yes and. I wanna be able to say yes to the right, to do the right thing. I think we all wanna be able to do the right thing. When you're working in retail, the right thing is, I'm going to take 15 minutes and talk to this patient in depth about this medicine, but the system is such that you get 30 seconds to do it. And otherwise the, the, you know, whatever metric of the day that they're worried about is going to look bad. And so my motivation is from, for those of us providing it to one, develop the tools to be better adaptable within the system. Uh, healthcare is chaotic. There is no controlling what we think we can control. COVID, I think, has hopefully taught us that we do not control nearly as much as we'd like to think we do. Uh, that, that has been my lesson from this, is humans like to think we're in control, but we there is so much nature beyond what we can control. So how can we learn to be better adaptable uh, and so that we have that le less friction, less frustration, less pain as providers? 
And then also just seeing so many family members and friends just get bounced around the healthcare system, punted here, there, everywhere, get nowhere with their care. The motivation is how can we make this, and I'm part of my French, suck less? Like, how can we make healthcare suck less? Like, it doesn't have to be perfect, but like, can we make this so that you don't dread going to the doctor or the hospital? Like, I've had family members that literally had major events that refused to go to the emergency room because of how they've been treated or their fear of going to the and entering the healthcare system. And so, yeah, it, those are like, I guess the big nobler missions. I also like, I want to make healthcare fun. Like healthcare can be really fun when you help people connect with your patients, connect with the people you work with, you know, instead of fighting, you know, pharmacists versus nurses versus doctors versus dietitians, like healthcare and improv are both team sports. So let's, let's learn to work as a team and put the patient first. Cause when we don't, and we fight amongst each other, the patient suffers. And so that, that deeper mission is just to make this, this experience for everyone just better and more enjoyable. And ultimately when you are interacting and having a better experience with the healthcare system, you know what happens? People are probably going to get healthier, <laughs> which if I think back way long ago to when I started this, it's probably why I went into pharmacy was to, to help people get healthier. Yeah. Look at that. We came full circle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't always depend on a drug. And the cliche saying is laughter is the best medicine. Yes, that it is. So I will say, yeah, people will ask me, so Corey, you must really be about the laughter is the best medicine. I I will say like, I think a good laugh and good humor is, is awesome medicine. Um, But I think the thing that I've learned as an improviser, that, that, that ability to, to be in the moment and realize like sometimes that patient in front of you Yes, they need a joke. They need to laugh. We need to chuckle together, whether it's laughing and being joyful in the good times or sharing a laugh to soften the bad times. But I also think that we also need to to understand sometimes that person needs a hug, sometimes a stern talking to of like, you need to get your life together because this is, you know, your habits are really harming you and your family. Um, So I will say yes and to the idea of laughter is the best medicine, Uh, but sometimes it isn't the, the perfect medicine. And so what I, what I've learned as an improviser is to, to be able to, to be with that patient, to be in that moment, not be thinking of what I think I should say, not be thinking of what I, my plan was when I, when I got into the room with that patient, but to just be in that moment, look into the eyes of that person in front of me and realize what they need in that moment, whether it is a medicine, a lifestyle intervention, a joke, uh, whatever that might be. Yeah. Yeah. I love the way you're describing it. It's, almost making me think of meditation too. So a way of being in the present moment and fully surrendering, right? And just observing. And the point is not to clear your thoughts completely. The point is just to observe whatever does come up um, and not judge the moment, right? Just be in there. Yeah. And I think as a pharmacist, we're really bad about not judging the moment. Uh, We always like to put our clinical spin or and it's easy, it's easy, you know, I do, do my, my bit of meditation. And I, I actually find that doing improv is one of the things that really get, it's, it's almost meditative in that it puts me fully in the moment uh, or when I'm doing it well, I'm fully in the moment when I'm not doing it well, I'm thinking of what I should have said or what I will say, but when, when done well, it really is that getting into that. It's, it's a trick for me to get into that flow state and that meditative state of listening, responding, not judging what's happening, just responding in a natural way. Uh, but I love that, that meditative connection, but yeah, to, to see without judgment. Uh, and which is hard with, I think with as pharmacists or healthcare professionals, sometimes it's hard to 
be in the moment with a patient and not judge things or prejudge things. Um, it, it's easy to say you should eat better. It's harder to listen to someone's story of how they've been kicked out of their house and they have no money and they've had a million things happen to them that's led them to this moment of why they are acting this way uh, and to not judge that person, which I've learned to, to do, I think, much, much more effectively in my career as I've got along. And it helps to, and the patients appreciate it, like <laughs> to, to not feel like they're judged. I don't want my patients to feel judged. And um, oftentimes I will even tell them, especially with diabetes, I'm like, it is not your fault that you are this way. There's a million things that are working against you from your background, upbringing, society, the marketing of food to you, like a million things are working against you. So I'm not judging you in this moment, but we're going to work together to get out of it. And that, like, I see the relief on patients when they're like, oh, he doesn't think I'm a bad person because I like Doritos. Like, no, you're, you're a human being with a brain and dopamine. That's why you like Doritos. Okay. <laughs> yeah. There's a scientific explanation for everything. Yeah. Um, and the laughing piece, uh, to just go back to that, I think the beauty is that it breaks the tension, right? So, um, you know, whatever that moment was before the laughter, we're kind of changing our neural circuit to go a different direction. So whatever, like the thinking or the judgment or whatever was happening before is just a way to like break the ice, break the tension and set like a level stage to now be present. Mm -hmm. And now you can kind of, be in a more open and sharing state of mind. And I love how you spoke about, you know, people's stories. And that is such an important um, idea in the levels of healing that can be done. So it's, that's why the drug is not an easy fix. That's why even 26 medications won't do it. It's because there's a pattern and layers and layers and layers of why the person came to this condition and how. So it's not just that, oh, physiologically, you know, something got broken and, you know, it keeps getting broken, even though we're adding on meds and increasing doses and elevating and maxing things out. Um, it's the pattern is not broken. It's not interrupted. So whatever processes were going on to cause the disease state are mm -hmm. still at work. So yeah. we can't just interrupt it with a drug. We have to address the actual underlying issue, which could involve, you know, a physiologic change, which could be an emotional or psychologic trauma, could be of a combination. And it, it could be that this person lives with toxicity like mold, <laughs> you know, and yeah. they have to move. Or, you know, like what you mentioned about people's stories and their backgrounds and their relationships with food and with money and all these things, um, you know, so the social system, the medical system, um, the cultural norms, and even how people, like you mentioned, have a distrust in the medical field, and I feel like for good reason, um, but also the food industries, and like you said, um, is going against them, working against them and the marketing industries. So it always surprises me that Sometimes people are naive because I guess they don't have the background that I do. Um, and they think, oh, well, because this is on the market, it must mean it's safe for, for me. So yeah. I can go and, you know, I can buy this. Even, you know, something as benign as a plastic water bottle. Like, this is good for me. <laughs> yeah, it's water, right? Yeah. Uh, well, in Arizona, they keep it in their car in the hot summers. And so their plastics cook in their water. I mean, that, I mean, that could be a whole other episode we do on, on plastics. But <laughs> we, we, yeah, but I, yeah, I think that what I do on a stage and when I say I do improv and, and 
it's all made up. People are like, oh, how do you create something in the moment like that? And I think one of the keys and one of the great parallels between improv and healthcare is identifying a why or a want. And so if I identify in my character that I want someone to notice my haircut, everything I say and do on that stage in response to my character, that my teammates is going to be in the service of like my want is I want you to notice this haircut. And so if I identify like a wire I want in a patient, and I have a patient that had diabetes for 20 years and he needs a new job and they need him to be healthy for it. And so he's like, well, I didn't care for 20 years, but now I do. So let's fix me. I'm like, okay, great. You want a job. Awesome. Or patients that, you know, classic one with smoking is like to see their kids or grandkids graduate or, or certain life events to reduce their risks. And some, some people like they just want to eat whatever they want. Like, okay, me talking to you extensively about diet probably is not going to work today. So we're going to 27 meds. It is like, that's, we have to limit the damage. So it's, it really is about finding that why or that want. And from there you can really make some headway with, with patients. Yeah. And I think the other thing that you um, were talking into is the willingness, right? So what are you willing to do to get the result that you want, Mm -hmm. you know, and then working from there? Yeah. And that's, I think one thing that I, I really focus on with a patient is like with a, with meals, it's like, okay, so you're not willing to change everything of how you eat. Can we stop soda or can we work on breakfast? Like let's stop eating donuts for breakfast. Can we stop the donuts? <laughs> like stop, stop the bleeding at one meal, see how you do. And then these incremental changes over the next six months, if you fix breakfast and then in, in a month, we'll work on your snacks and then maybe lunch. And then by the time we talk again in six months, maybe we don't need these medicines. And, and also some people are like, I need to fix this to yesterday. So I'm going to change my everything right now. So yeah, it's, it's not having that one size fits all approach. It's treating that, that human individual patient in front of you. Yeah. I love it. So, um, we only have a few minutes left, Corey, and I really wanted to ask you from, you know, your personal perspective, um, of building this mission and um, being passionate about this and bringing this to the world in your own unique way. Um, how do you make it sustainable to continue, you know, your professional pharmacy job and also uh, do this kind of work that's, you know, very mission based? Um, what is really the goal? Is the goal to move from one to another? And how do you make it sustainable? Because I know it takes a lot of work, you know, and I've been doing a lot of my entrepreneurship journey part time alongside Mm -hmm. pharmacy and, you know, behind the scenes, um, I think sometimes we underestimate, you know, how much work and time and dedication it takes to bring something to life like this. Yeah. So my joke answer is I just ignore my wife and kids. So I I do not (laughs) ignore the joke answer. I, I have to be make the, the, the bad joke there. Um, yeah. And so like right now I'm, I'm a full-time pharmacist. I do the work for this. A lot of it is cold emails, trying to find organizations that want me to come do a keynote or a workshop. So that's, I get up at five every day. I do a little workout. I do a little work there. Kids go to bed at seven or eight, spend a little more time there. Naps on the weekends is, is where I fit that in. Uh, building a team. So like when I published this book, there's the option of self-publishing. I chose to find a publisher and my goodness, it was the best choice I ever made because I would still like, it's just a lot of mental energy. I didn't have to work on there. Um, and I, and I really, my goal is to kind of like part-time pharmacist and, and more time with what I'm doing 
uh, with speaking and writing. Uh, I, writing a book, honestly, the writing, I love writing. Uh, writing the, the writing part wasn't hard. The hardest part is right now is marketing it. Like having like to hold up a book and say, please spend your time and money on this is the hardest part or going and, and doing social media posting is the hardest part. And so I have, I have some help with, with as far as an assistant to, to help manage some of that stuff too. So that takes a little bit off the plate, but I mean, ideally I would be work. I, I love what you do and I, I don't want to give up. I'm not willing to give up the clinical pharmacy part of what I've done. I've been doing this for 11 years. I've worked really hard to get this license and this experience. And I love stopping diabetes meds too much to not do that as, in some capacity. And so it's like hard. You can only do really do one side thing well at one time. And so I would love to get to a place where I can find some part, part, part-time pharmacist job, still use my license there and then use the rest of that time to, to write, to, to speak. And I guess play with my kids. I kidding. I, I still enjoy them. You might've heard them as they're trying to get them down for their nap right now. So, uh, but yeah, that's, that's the ultimate goal. I, and it's hard. One thing that I've, I've realized it's really hard to give up the identity of like, Oh, since I was 16, I was going to be a pharmacist. And then I'm that thing. And now I'm not sure if I want to be that thing. I want to be this other thing. And only people have only known me as this other thing. Like when my coworkers found out, I wrote a book, they were like, Oh, is there like a PDF? I'm like, Oh, it's on Amazon. And they're like, Amazon. And they go look it up like, oh, there's your picture there and a description. I'm like, yeah, it's a book. It's, it's, it's a book. So, um, but yeah, I think that's because it's not normal for pharmacists to do different things, I think. Uh, like, not that it's like, not that it shouldn't be normal. It's just like you go to farm, you kind of like go A to B to C to D as a pharmacist and going and writing a book and doing comedy is not part of the, the plan. And so, yeah, I'm get kind of saying goodbye to that old identity and trying to say hello to this new one. And it's, it's a lot of work too. Like not to, not, it, it, I'm tired a lot. Uh, I don't, don't ask me what's on Netflix. I don't get a lot of uh, TV time, but it's, it's, it's worth it. Like every, every, like I mentioned, like when I, when I'm teaching a workshop or a, a talk, it is total flow state, total in the moment, total enjoyment. And it makes the pain of the early mornings and late nights, 100% worth it to see the light bulbs go off in the, the faces of those who are working together and playing. Yeah, I love it. It's like the peak performance state when you're 100% focused or the flow state, like you mentioned, which Mm -hmm. to me is also like a transcendent state. Mm -hmm. So it's beyond the normal. And just like what you're saying about pharmacy, but really any profession that we consider as like a static role, like, you know, you get somewhere, um, you get a degree, you get a title, you go to a certain through a certain certification process and you know this is what you can expect and this is how much you can grow or elevate in the ranks and you kind mm-hmm. of have a whole hierarchy already predetermined for you but you don't mm-hmm. account for all those pivots and all those things that you know life presents or um, on a soul level like maybe you you connect with a different mission and maybe you were meant to be a pharmacist first you know, and then apply this to pharmacy. So um, I think it's, it's accepting, right, that <laughs> this is part of your path, you know, maybe, maybe some people regret their chosen path or their chosen license that they chose to get because they don't enjoy their current workplace. <laughs> but maybe that was part of the lesson, maybe part of the lesson and the mission for them was to go through the process, and then realize this is not what they're meant to do but then mm-hmm. utilize that background and their passion for a change 
to spark and initiate another movement. So I don't think we should regret or, um, you know, it, it's kind of a waste of time really to regret um, or to mourn something. So as soon as you realize that you're not aligned, then you can, um, you can start to make different choices rather than punish yourself for the road not taken. Yeah. No mistakes, only gifts. That's, that's the whole prep. Like that's one of the improv premises premises. It's, it's, I know it. And sometimes it's harder to accept than others, but yeah, I totally agree is that you, you don't get to where you are without the experiences where you've been. And like, my joke is like, I'm not the best pharmacist. I'm not the funniest comedian, but like together, like I'm pretty good. I'm a pretty good pharmacist comedian. So it sets me apart from, from you're, most you're other. You're a unique one. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> they're very different than most pharmacists. I, I want, I want less drugs and I like doing jokes. So uh, it I'll, I'll have, to, it just means I have to carve my own path, I guess, which is fun. It's exciting. And it's very different than anything I've kind of gone on as an endeavor in the last, you know, first decade of my career. And that's cool. It's, it's how I'm going to grow. So, yeah. and I really yeah. commend what you shared about, you know, the discipline that it requires and the time management uh, for the dedication to this mission and to fit this into your life. Um, because like I said, I, I definitely resonate and relate to that. It's not easy. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and writing a book and getting up, you know, super early, um, you know, to get your stuff done, to get everything that you need done that day. That takes a lot of perseverance and that goes back to like the willingness. So if mm -hmm. you have a desire that you, you know, you were gifted, right. That <laughs> it's innately there. You have this desire for a reason and you choose to act on it. You know, what are you willing to do to bring that desire to life? And yeah. same thing with the health goals that we spoke about and same thing with, you know, your life's purpose, your mission, um, and what you're here to, to foster and to create. Yeah. Agreed. Well said. Yeah. Awesome. Well, uh, I'd love to just get into like a minute of rapid round fire questions. Sure. Let's do it. Okay. So what would be your number one advice for somebody say a pharmacist or just anybody that, you know, doesn't really like when they look around where they are and wants to make some changes, like what in your experience should they do? What's your number one advice there? I would say look to what other things you already enjoy or have a skill at. So if you love cooking, if you love playing racquetball, if you love gardening, like immediately you have a built-in skill set that you can combine with your, the discipline and critical thinking of being a pharmacist or healthcare professional to, to, to explore at worst, you're going to spend more time doing a thing you enjoy at best. It turns like me, it turns into like this other thing. So look, look to what you know and enjoy already. So, yeah. so, so there'll be less friction. Love it. So it doesn't have to be another career, but it could be a vocation. Mm -hmm. To meet your soul needs. Yeah, fill the soul up exactly. That's right. Awesome. Um, and then, what is your favorite hobby or pastime? Okay, so aside from doing comedy, I think my favorite hobby or pastime is um, playing sports and athletics and fitness. So I play racquetball, basketball, golf. I exercise regularly, so that's probably my my favorite thing to do. Aside, and I guess playing with my again, playing with my kids, high on the list. Kids are not a hobby. They're, they're a choice that my wife and I made, but uh, yeah, sports are just something I've always played and enjoyed doing. And so I've kept that level of fitness and engagement into my, uh, I guess I'm an adult now. So adulthood. So 
that baseball throw, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. I was a, ba- I was a baseball player in high school. Right, right. Uh, <laughs> cool. And then what is your favorite meal to cook or consume? Favorite meal to cook or consume? Uh, I have been rocking our air fryer and I made some really great chicken wings. So chicken wings have traditionally been like my favorite junk food. And now I can make them without frying them up in a bunch of yucky oils. So uh, I would say that or um, in general steak is great. I cook that, you know, we have a fortunately have a a lot of cows here in Arizona. So we got a local rancher. So I'll get a nice, uh, I'll get the T-bone. My wife likes the ribeye. She likes a little fattier cut, but uh, probably that would be uh, those, those two are my easy, easy go-tos that are, uh, less junky than a lot of other, uh, options I used to eat in my younger days. Love it. The conscious meat eater. Yes. I, I do my best with that. Of course. Nice. Okay. Well, I want to thank you so much, Corey, for coming on and sharing your story and your comedy and everything that we spoke about today and how we can apply this to patient care and just enhance communication in general and connection. Um, So I would love for you to just share with our audience how they can get your hands on the book. I guess Amazon you mentioned and how else they can get in touch with you. Yeah. So uh, once again, Permission to Care, Building a Healthcare Culture that Thrives in Chaos is available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble as uh, one of my best friends was the, I think one of the only people that still uses Barnes and Noble, but they're all good, good bookstores. And then the best way to get a hold of me is if you just go to my website, coreyjenks.com. And so it's C-O-R-Y-J-E-N-K-S. My first name does not have an E. My parents were cheap and didn't buy the vowel. So if you ever watch Wheel of Fortune, that's a bad Wheel of Fortune joke. So from there, you can find my email, all my social medias, which um, if you want to connect with me, you can go from there, get me on LinkedIn for my website and uh, don't spend too much time on social media. I put stuff out there occasionally, but do it mindfully. Uh, That's my, that was my biggest struggle is trying to, trying to promote a book, but also respect people's attention and time. So yeah, uh, Yeah. but uh, yeah, that's the best way to get a hold of me. So I look forward to connecting with any, any of your audience. I'd love it. Awesome. So I'll share all of that in the show notes. And can you just leave us off with one last kind of message that you want people to get from your book? I hope that you can impact someone's life by simply being in the moment with them whenever they need it. Uh, I think that that is so lost uh, on, on others. It's very simple, but oftentimes we, we don't do it. So just listen and sit and be present with, with the people that you care for and work with and and change some lives love it so much well thank you again and i wish you a great evening with your kids thank you bye bye thank you for tuning in to the holistic pharmacy podcast i truly hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as we enjoyed creating it if you learned something new from it i'd love if you could leave us a five-star review and share it with a friend who might love it too You can find me on any of the podcast and social media platforms by looking up Holistic Pharmacist or Dr. Marina Booksov. Thank you for your support and see you next time.